Good evening and welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sandsbury. Well, Simon, back at last after our super extended summer break. And I guess we probably ought to start with an apology for last week where the technical gremlins ran us through. Yeah, they did. But the lesson that we learned was if you're going to move your mixer desk and all of your setup around, um, don't dust your mixer desk because you accidentally press a button that basically disables the feedback from the computer to the mixer. That's the really stupid thing that I discovered shortly after saying, ah, no, we can't do this. We're going to have to bail. Um, But it's like a little (laughs) tiny thing about the size of a, well, not it's even smaller than my than my little finger now. So. Yes, so tragedy, but for those of you who were tuning in last week for In Liz We Trust, um, we will be be running the episode next Sunday, Um, but this evening's episode, we are turning our thoughts to the ocean, and we actually have another apology from the relatively newly formed Conservative Friends of the Ocean, who wanted to be with us this evening, but uh, unfortunately they are all at Conservative Party Conference, which is their kind of official launch, so... We haven't got them, but we have got a plethora, nay, cornucopia of guests. Would that be fair, Simon? We have indeed. Um, so we, we welcome back t- to the show um, Sarah Shreve from um, Stop the Sewage South Sea. And we welcome back Mike Owens from um, Haylage Sewage Watched. Um, but they are also joined by um, Bob Bailey from Clean Harbours Partnership. So welcome all. Good evening. Hi. Hello. Yeah. So, um, so welcome. And yeah, I, I, I was, uh, I, I was listening to the radio this week, and I think Mike, you popped up on the Greatest Hits Radio News, and I was bouncing up and down in my chair, saying he's on the <coughs> podcast on Sunday. So, so uh, a, a, a moment of, of of minor fame prior to coming and joining us. And I didn't even hear it. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. So if we can just start then by, please, could you introduce yourself? Um, you're the group that you represent and kind of what the aims and ideals of that group is, maybe how you got involved. And can I start with Rob, please? Good evening. Yeah. Um, so Robert Bailey, um, Rob Bailey. Uh, I was a, a sea swimmer actually in, in Langston and Chester Harbours. And a few of us became unwell in 2020. Just sort of nausea, diarrhea, the usual thing that sea swimmers are getting used to getting. So I said I'd find out to the group a little bit more about what's going on with this sewage rumour. And what I found out concerned us a lot. So I found out things like, um, actually from Mike, uh, over 100 days of continuous untreated sewage discharge into our harbours each year. Um, At the time, Natural England did their condition review of Chichester Harbour, and that found that the condition of the Chichester Harbour had been declining for the last 40 years or so. We found out that the Environment Agency did a little bit of water testing, but actually not very much. And when they did test, they found um, above acceptable levels of mercury in the water. They also found a thing called um, PBDE, which is a flame in the water. So with um, with with that, with that background, um, we started to search a little bit further and um, we found that Chichester Conservancy kept saying the water quality is excellent. We also found local MPs saying there's nothing to worry about, but we knew there was. 
So um, we formed Clean Harbours Partnership with some interested parties around the harbour, mostly sailing clubs and residents associations. And our focus has become a piece of research called Project Spotlight. And we have um, a number of scientists looking at what's in the water for us. So we're doing biopsies on five different species. We're testing water samples, about 250 of them we've taken. And um, we're doing some eDNA testing as well. And those results are due probably just before Christmas. So that's been our focus and how we form. That's brilliant. Thanks ever so much, Rob. And can I ask the same question to Sarah, Absolutely. please? Absolutely. Um, so I'm Sarah. I'm from Stop the Sewage South Sea. And we were one a year ago. So exactly a year ago, um, this weekend, we held our first protest. Another angry sea swimmer <laughs> is me. Um, and there's now five of us, um, all sea swimmers, who are running Stop the Sewage. Um, we, I think the sense of place is something that's really important to me for Stop the Sewage South Sea. And it's something that we were very inspired by Mike and Hailing Sewage Watch with. Um, we've got a really good relationship with Surfers Against Sewage and their kind of national advocacy work. But I really believe that it's important for local groups who know their local climate, their local ecology, their local problems and issues to be able to speak to what is happening locally and for us in South Sea that is um, warning people when there's been discharges and again similar to Mike at Hailing the recent issues with Southern Waters so-called upgrades to the warning systems have been causing us some concerns um, but we've also been trying to really look at what we can do um, by working with local government and with our MPs to try and reduce the amount of storm overflows not just by waiting for southern water to act although of course that's really really important but by doing whatever we can through planning and through sustainable urban drainage and things like that to minimize the amount of water that's getting into the storm overflow in the first place because Portsmouth is such a densely populated city there's a lot of gains that can be made there um, we're trying to keep awareness really high we're trying to keep the pressure on southern water and I think another thing we're passionate about is working really effectively with other local groups so working with clean harbors partnership working with mike at hailing sewage watch and also other groups along the coast have got great relationship with the hastings guys we've been speaking with whitstable and just making sure that nationally and locally the awareness and the pressure is raised and is kept up that's brilliant thank you sarah and i guess our our odd man out who's a, a surfer not a swimmer um mike over to you you got me. I'm, I'm a, an angry windsurfer. Um, it's Mike here from Hailing Sewage Watch. Um, Hailing Sewage Watch was formed maybe several years ago now. I can't even remember exactly when. Uh, after lots of people were found to be uh, sick and infected. In fact, not, not from Hailing, but I, I suffered uh, a decade ago uh, hospitalisation from, from being contact sewage in the water somewhere else. So um, I decided to set it up. Basically, we we try and keep our following and others around us um, informed about discharges. Uh, we call them brown alerts. Um, we're really into lobbying Southern Water MPs, ministers, off EA, anybody that will listen um, to try and make a difference. Um, clearly, Southern Water are not 
they, they talk a good game, but they're not actually doing a great deal, and they could be doing a lot more. So we're looking to have their arm twisted by others. Um, we've had some success. We've got Beach Boy now. We've got real-time sewage um, monitoring, although it's not fully functional at the moment. That's off of hailing. Um, I can't talk too much about Beach Boy because I'm under some kind of uh, vague NDA. So uh, that's today. Tomorrow might be a different matter. Uh, the other thing I'm concerned about is warnings by local councils. When Southern Water say they have discharged our local beaches, they have some pretty sophisticated tools to confirm most of that. And local councils, uh, certainly haven't borough council, are not listening and they're not giving us warnings to the 700,000 people that visit our beach during the summer season. I think it's bad. Thank you, Mike. So, Simon, with that in mind, um, and thank you and welcome all. Um, and um, just for the record, we did um, we did send an invite to Southern Water and invite them um, an opportunity to give us a statement, um, but we didn't hear back from them. Um, so, unfortunately, we um, we haven't got them joining the conversation. Um, so, what is it that's that? I know um, I know we've kind of touched on it, um, but what is it that's that's actually being discharged into our waters, and and why why is that happening? And if I can give that first to for Sarah. Sure. Um, we'll start with the primary school teacher and then the guys can add probably the complexity onto the top. Um, so the first thing and the most obvious thing that got me worried and started um, Stop the Sewage South Sea and obviously Polly also for Mike over at Hailing Sewage Watch and for Rob when he got Polly is sewage. So sewage meaning human waste, number ones, number twos and they're containing pathogens and different bacteria so then we have concerns about things like E. coli, Staphylococcus, um, antibiotic resistant bacteria those are the things that are in our poo and our wee and um, come out into the sea I'll talk about how they get there in a minute when I've listed some of the other things um, but as um, Rob alluded to and I think part of the reason that Clean Harbour's partnership has such a great name, whereas I went straight for the sewage, is that's not the end of the story and that's not the only issue we're talking about. So anything that you ingest can come out of you in your um, excreta, shall we call them? Um, and that includes all of the medications and drugs that you may take, whether recreational or uh, prescribed. So we're talking about things like hormones from the pill, um, endocrine disruptors, um, antidepressant medication, class A drugs have been found, which is a nice thing to think about. Um, and those things come out in our sewage as well. Um, that's a problem because it might not give you an upset tummy in the same way, but there's two different issues going on. One is a lot of the animals the flora and fauna that live in the sea are much 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 smaller than human so a dose that is passing out of you might be a huge dose for a limpet or a tiny worm or a fish and then they build up within the ecosystem um, Alex Ford at Portsmouth University has done loads of research into this but there's a series of lakes in Canada where they can test different things and they put the level of antidepressants that comes out in sewage into one of the lakes and the fish just stop being scared of birds of prey so you've got herons sweeping down and this really chill fish just like yeah eat me 
it'll be great probably not the best for the ecosystem and those things are coming out and then we have like the microplastics the cleaning chemicals all the things that you wash down your drain and we've seen uh microplastics crossing the um placenta we've seen microplastics in fish at incredible depths so anything that you eat or drink or ingest or put down your sink can end up in the sea and the reason that that happens is that we have a victorian sewage system that was built to stop us all getting dysentery from throwing our excrement into the middle of the road it has not kept pace with the level of housing and development but also the amount of per paving over permeable surfaces that we've seen as a result of people having driveways and people having patios and all those sorts of things that means in storms the amount of water entering our sewage system is so high the sewage treatment plant can't cope to treat it all they store as much as they can in storage tanks, but those storage tanks are nowhere near big enough for the amount of water that is mixing with sewage and coming out into their sewage works. So they say to stop it backing up and coming out of your toilet or coming out of your sink, they have to take the pressure off the system. And they do that by something called a, a combined storm overflow, where it circumvents the sewage system and just goes straight out into the sea. That's my summary. Thank you. That was very comprehensive um that was as summary as you could make for the, um for that um crikey so it's so it's so it's not just um the actual waste that, that's the problem um michael rob did you want to add anything to to that at all yeah i'll, I'll, I'll jump in there I, i've got to say uh, sarah that was a pretty comprehensive uh, assessment of the situation and uh and accurate too um i think uh you know, Southern Water have known that they've had a Victorian sewage system for probably well over 100 years, or certainly since their formation. And so, you know, complaining that their sewage system is outdated and, and failing as a result of a massive surprise that, that it's Victorian is, is just doesn't wash with me. Um, and, and as Sarah said, that the biggest problem we have is making provision for around here anyway, for the uh, treatment of um, 420,000 toilet users and their drives and their roofs uh, in rainfall, and not heavy rainfall, by the way. It's, it's not always heavy rainfall these days. Sometimes it's it's moderate rainfall. Um, and, and of course, that, that pollutes our, our harbours. The, the uh, actual treatment of this vast volumes of, uh, of, of discharge um, the, the treatment work at Bubs Farm treats about 109 million litres a day from 420,000 toilets, which is a phenomenal amount. But when when you are right at your very ceiling and it rains, that's a huge problem. And uh, they've only got 7,000 um, 7, cubic metres. I was going to quote you in litres here. 7,000 7, cubic metres of stormwater storage and quite often that fills up well within an hour and then they have to spill it in, into the harbour and uh, don't, don't listen to them when they say it's been partially treated it's been screened uh, for wet wipes and sanitary products and maybe the odd cotton bud but you know all of the faecal pathogens associated with that are still in the water and they will also tell you it's settled 
in that some of this stuff settles to the bottom and doesn't get released. Well, you know, I, I think that's a bit that's a bit of a, a, a leg call, really. So um, that, that's all I'm going to say for okay. now. Okay. I mean, it seems like we're kind of deftly moving to the to the next question, unless there was uh, unless there was something you wanted to add to that one, Rob. Before we move on. Yeah, I'd just say, as you pick up something that Sarah said, that um, I think quite often southern water is seen as the lightning conductor for this problem. And there are other polluters as well. It's just worth, worth mentioning them to put it in context, mm -hmm. I think. Um, some of the main ones being highway runoff. When it rains, what comes off the highways? That's rubber, of course, petrochemicals, metals. There's also agricultural runoff, pesticides and uh, fertilizers. Um, and there's things like landfill. So there's lots of landfill around Langston Harbour from the old days. Um, and even things like uh, just recently they've found a thing called DDT in, on Thorny Island in the sediment. So DDT was used um, there apparently as an experiment against mosquitoes back in, let's say, 1940s. So it's been there about 80 years. And this stuff is seeping into, into the water. So there's many elements to this cocktail of... of um, sources but also what's actually in 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 the water itself and coming through wastewater treatment plants some of the scientists reckon there's quite often depending on the size of the treatment works there's between 10 and 50,000 different chemicals come through and there are many thousands of chemicals invented every year and our victorian system's not used to dealing with that Exactly, Rob. I was going to say one of the things I was really surprised to learn as I got more into this information was even water that has made it through the full plethora of treatment at Bud's Farm won't have had all of the things that we've just spoken about removed from it. There's like a gold standard of screening that happens in some Scandinavian sewage works where we're able to remove the hormones and the um, antidepressants and some of those chemicals, but that isn't currently part of the waste removal process. They've got they've had conversations about it linked to the separate question of this um, haven't thicket reservoir, uh, because if water recycling will be happening, then obviously we need to be getting those things out so that they're not building up and up and up in that system. But as it currently stands even if that droplet of water has gone through everything Bud's farm can throw at it, it may be free of pathogens, but it won't be free of all of the different substances and compounds that we've spoken about just now. Yeah. And so, for example, we, we know that Bud's farm was used by the government for COVID testing during the, the pandemic. Uh, we know that polio has been found in East London, in the um, treatment works in East London. Usually it's the stuff you can't see that concerns us, but sometimes it's the stuff you can see. So um, many listeners would have would have um, heard about the wet wipe island up on the, the Thames, where there's an island about the size of the football pitch, I understand, made of wet, made up of wet wipes from the Twickenham uh, wastewater treatment works. Lots of stuff, lots of stuff there. Wow. Yeah, that, that... Yeah, and I guess as we as we look at this, you know, when we look at uh, at the sort of local landscape, obviously, you know, Sarah's touched on the fact Portsmouth is densely populated, and and you know, Haven and Hailing Island, there are always new new housing developments springing up, and and I, I guess there's there's a feeling that perhaps the water companies should have seen this coming. Um, you know, is it a case of of 
they've been slow out of the blocks or is it a case that you know with with more severe storms um happening more frequently you know is it something that that really is is just inevitable i'd like to put that first to mike i think what we're seeing here it's not it's not southern waters fault per se this is as a result of significant failure of government regulation um, specifically the environment agency and offer um, they should have seen this coming and because they don't have much in the way of resources they are they're just not not dealing with this adequately and that's why Hayden sewage watch are quite um, quite happy to get MPs under the microscope to see what they're actually doing uh, it's not it's not inevitable I mean with with more homes for every home that we build we've got roofs we've got driveways we've got streets all of that water when it rains goes into the drains which actually exacerbates the stormwater storage issue and associated with the additional toilet users that use the toilet and their uh, their cleaning products etc so you know the solution is it's really quite simple if if you haven't got enough infrastructure to cope with the toilet users you have and the amount of water the area in question generates uh, in terms of generating stormwater overflows just don't build any more houses until you do i mean that's that's a seems simple on the face of it but that's not what's happening at the moment so sarah rob can i invite you in on that yeah i could i could say I, i've been i've been in business for 30 years and i i don't think i've seen a, a sector where you've got more foresight than this one they actually know through local plans that there are thousands of houses on their way so i think from memory portsmouth is planning circa 17,700 or so um yep. haven't many thousands but they are in and around the local plans people people know so there's a long-term view over 10 to 15 years what's coming down coming down the pipes ironically um mm. but also short term because they know what's being built and when they're coming on stream so this has been this is, it is very rare foresight that the actual um that the water companies have at the same time the environment agency will know what will happen by not by not having the extra infrastructure so it's an industry that's had incredible foresight and seems to have done very little about it and i think in the cynic in me says that that's as mike was saying the lack of regulation and the fact that they've been empowered to just make profit rather than reinvest into the infrastructure that is necessary even i had assumed that the fines that were paid last year would have been reinvested in the infrastructure, but they've gone straight into the chancellor's pocket. So that 90 million hasn't come back into the infrastructure. And I know that Portsmouth is, I know Portsmouth better than I know haven't, but the housing targets are externally set by government but it's the same government that aren't holding the water companies to account. So the lack of joined up thinking is really confusing. Um, I think it's also incredibly frustrating because the research and the thinking is there. So we've been working with Southern Water um, 
with the council looking at sustainable urban drainage schemes. And these are pilots that have run successfully on the Isle of Wight where they make road coverings permeable and they use runoff drains to basically reduce the amount of stormwater going into the drain so that what gets to the sewage works is concentrated sewage. And new build estates split their grey water from their sewage water so that they're trying to keep all of the road runoff and the roof runoff and the gutter water separate from the sewage when they're building the new estates. The quest, the problem is there has been no incentive for these as private businesses to reach a gold standard or a silver standard or even a bronze standard. The incentivization has been to do the absolute bare minimum to maximise profits and that's where the infrastructure has suffered and why we find ourselves in the position where we know the technology is there, we know there's different solutions to the problem but none of them have been implemented because there's been no regulation or incentivization by the government for it to happen. There is a thing called a uh, Southern Water, um, called a smart water butt and the idea is that um, when, you're, when it rains your roof empties its content into uh, a water butt and using some marvellous technology it releases after the rain is gone in a controlled way which stops the stormwater sewage discharges and uh, they're saying very loudly this is what a fabulous idea this is the problem is is that if you apply for those as i did you'll find that you are not in this area actually um allowed to have one because they don't supply our water. They only deal with our sewage. They don't supply our water. And therefore, out of their four and a half million customers, 700,000 of us from Fairham all the way across to the Littlehampton area are, are actually supplied by Portsmouth Water Company. And so therefore, we, we don't get those things. So, And we've been exploring it um, as part of this local government plan to try and get the storm overflow in Portsmouth right down but then we end up in this bizarre situation that Mike and I find where we're we're getting warning signs put in on the seafront for when there's been sewage outflows from Portsmouth City Council but not from Haven't Borough Council and we're now trying to get smart water butts as part of our sustainable urban drainage system because the council are really driving it forward and it shouldn't be the case that it's patchworked depending mm. on how bothered your council is this it's not like our sewage pollution will stop halfway across Langston Harbour and will only stay on the hailing side because haven't by the council haven't supported sustainable urban drainage. We all share the water, we all share the coastline. It shouldn't be this ad hoc. To be fair, they do. They, they do. they do kind of support uh, suds, but um, if, if you've got to look at suds in in the round because suds is all about stopping. Um, more rainwater getting into the system mm. and therefore if if you know maybe you've got a million so you've got a million toilet users and they generate a certain amount of waste water if if you can reduce the amount of um uh rainwater getting into the system you can actually stop um some of the stormwater discharges but what you are actually doing is increasing the com the the, uh, the concentrations of excrement in said wastewater because you are removing some of the rainwater so suds isn't the be all and end all here 
Yeah, and it's interesting. I'd like to pick up on a, a just a question here. Perhaps I'm playing devil's advocate a little bit. Um, but whilst I think that the housing targets and everything you say are very, again, a point I hadn't thought of, Sarah, in terms of, you know, I've got a hard standing at the front of my house that used to be a garden and I'm sat in the extension with a patio out of it, which again used to be grass. But isn't the root cause here really more about the climate change and, you know, we get very dry periods and then you know i remember hearing at the end of a very hot summer when we got some rain well it, it was almost the wrong sort of rain at the wrong time and the parched ground wouldn't soak it up so it was going to run off and cause those so is, isn't the root cause the fact that our our rainfall has become more more should we say sporadic and and we're getting these surges or, or am I being too kind and that we're we're getting these discharges when there isn't a storm surge? I'd say there's there's elements of truth in both. So as Mike said, we're getting discharges in moderate or light rain now. And sometimes we're getting discharges when there's no rain at all or when they haven't told us that they're happening, um, which is concerning. I think mm. global warming certainly has a part to play but also if we pave over grass and trees, we're contributing to the global warming. Yep. So round they go. Um, I think the type of rain has definitely, is it like biblical rain events? Yep. Is that what they're calling them? Certainly a part of it. I think the lack of the loss of permeable surfaces can't be understated because we just don't know what those biblical events would, how they would interact with a more permeable, more green landscape because we don't have one so that's putting even more pressure on the the grass and the green that we do have when the biblical rain event happens i think the other thing that we haven't touched on is how water hungry our lifestyle has become when you look at the frequency of washing clothes washing ourselves showers baths dishwashers um the amount of water that you can use in your day-to-day -day life. My granny had a scullery with a pump in the back garden um, and we had to persuade her to kind of bring it up into the house. And we bought, yeah, when we bought our house here on Von Church Road, we didn't have a sink in our kitchen. We only had one in the utility room. And the amount of grey water produced from our modern way of living is also far higher. So I think it's a bit of a trifecta of carnage on an antiquated system that has not been invested in and has not kept pace with the problems we're having. But as Mike has pointed out, even when it's not raining sometimes or very light rain, we're getting the discharges, which is I might also add that there are lots of people projecting climate change, aren't there? So as a professional business, they should have that in mind as well when they're making their decisions. Well, um, we Sorry. kind of started touching on it um, in the answers to, to that one. So I guess then um, what powers does the Environment Agency have to detect discharges um, or off or off what for their part of the kind of the the the, um, the equation? Um, what powers do they have to detect and detect these discharges and, and enforce compliance? Um, and if I can ask that um first um to rob and if you can you know what powers do they have uh and maybe what powers you'd like them to to have um i think sarah kind of has, has kind of already given the her answer to that one but um we'll still go through so um rob what um what's what's your thoughts on that yeah okay yeah so it's a layer on to um 
Sarah's co comments really. I think there's always a lot of an outcry for we need more powers to stop things happening. I'd take a contrary view. I think they already have a lot of powers. What I'd like to see is them using it. And to bring that into, into context, they operate under something called the Enforcement and Sanctions Policy. And that's designed to stop illegal pollution. It's designed to put right the harm. And it's designed to punish those that offend. Three things. And it also has three priorities. So they will prioritize activities that are causing the most harm. They will prioritize um, where the breach undermines the regulatory framework. And they'll also prioritize where they suspect criminal activity is happening. Actually, I would argue the water company is doing all three. So the 90 million pound fine that we all know about, that was criminal activity. That's the term criminal activity. It is what they were doing was breaching, undermine, undermining the regulatory um, foundations. And there was massive risk causing massive damage. It was, I think, the biggest environmental crime the Environment Agency has uh, come up against in 25 years. So, so the water companies are doing all of these things. And yet, um, against this background, against the background, I think they say 400,000 discharges of untreated sewage a year in the round. There have been, well, there have been seven prosecutions last year, 2021, and there's been five so far this year. So my, my, my argument is they have the powers, they're just not doing it. Um, why do you, the obvious follow-on to that then is, why do you think that is then? Why do you think they're not using the powers they have? The, head, the headline has always been that there being um, lack of funding. That's always the headline. Um, whether there's something culturally going on as well, actually, whether you know, the water companies have got too smart for them as well, I, 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 don't, I don't know. But they are not monitoring and inspecting um, and finding like I think they, they, they should do. So what would you do as a commercial organization? You take advantage of that. Um, the water companies mark their own homework um, and the policemen are, don't have many funds. Okay. So that's the situation we find now. And it's worth, it's worth mentioning on top of what Rob said there is that um, he alluded to it is that Southern Water, uh, Rob said they mark their own homework. What they're actually doing is they're self-policing their own uh, regulatory uh, discharges and then letting the Environment Agency know. The Environment Agency isn't camped out on the end of their outfalls to record what's going on. They get told by... Can I give a little, a little example? We found on the River Labent, actually, that yeah. flows into Chichester Harbour, we found that um, Southern Water at the Labent Wastewater Treatment Works had been, um, for six months every year, discharging untreated sewage into a rare chalk stream, about eight foot wide. And according to the Environment Agency's own figures, that's about 75 million litres a year, 30 Olympic swimming pools a year into a little chalk stream. And actually it gets worse because the chalk stream dries out in the summer. So actually what you have flowing down into Chichester and into the harbour is actually a river of effluent. Mm, it's grim. And yet there are no fines. No, grim, grim stuff. Like you say, they were marking their own home. So, Sarah, it sounded like you, you had something to add there. I, I completely agree with Rob and Mike. I think the other thing that 
the amount of work that Clean Harbour Partnership put into um, documenting and working with the Environment Agency about that river um, in Lavin was huge and we're still not seeing fines or anything coming of it but at a level much smaller than that I think both Mike and I see multiple times a month people coming to our group saying I've been sick my dog is ill this has happened that has happened and because nothing seems to happen when they make those reports it disincentivizes people continuing to report it and Mike's got a great graphic it's got the phone number it tells people what to do it takes you through all the steps could not hold your hand and make it simpler but people just get really demoralized because they're like well I'm already puking if nothing's going to happen for me ringing this person while I puke why would I bother so I think that in turn reduces the amount of reporting because people become disillusioned they become frustrated and the number of witnesses and testament to what is going on becomes less due to apathy and frustration and it's not helped because when you do that to the environment agency uh, and you report a pollution incident they they if it's not a, a major one they'll put it into file 13 the bin so it looks like a uh, the, the the picture you paint is currently of a of a pretty grim situation, um, and again, I, I, I as I ask the question, I fear I know the answer. Um, you know, there is a a, a new environment bill coming. Um, you know, do, do you have hopes for that, or or as Rob has sort of touched on, is it just a case of of more more you know, it's another piece of paper that maybe doesn't get enacted. I think there, there was a lot of debate uh, earlier this year about what they called the um, the Duke of Wellington's Amendment to the Environment Bill, Amendment 45. And that, that sought to do two things, really. The amendment sought to um, put a duty on the water companies to demonstrate progressive improvement, first of all. And the second thing, it required Secretary of State Ofwat and the Environment Agency um, to ensure compliance. What it actually did was much weaker. So it focused on storm overflows only, not the sewage discharge from the whole system. And it didn't put that specific duty of care on the Secretary of State and Ofwat and, and the EA. And on the, on the timing on the storm overflows, um, they put targets in, great. Um, but the idea is to stop 85% of the storm overflows by 2035, so 13 years' time. Oh. And um, to, to stop storm overflows completely by 2050. So that means uh, the babies being born today will be 28 by the time they stop doing this. It's just not, just not, just not quick, not, not quick, not quick enough, really. So um, I think what we what we're asking for is a bit more scale and pace to this whole to this whole thing. Um, so the environment bill was a disappointment. We welcome the fo the focus on this particular issue, but it's a disappointment. Yeah, Sarah. Yeah, I would agree. Um, the fact that the seventy five percent may not even include some of our local outflows um, by twenty thirty five. The 25% will still be kicking out until 2050. And even the, those that are done in 13 years, that's the whole childhood of a child born now. Mm. Um, they'll be a teenager before the sea is clean. I think as well, it really felt like a 
a virtue signaling exercise for me because for a lot of the actions that were included in it there was no time scales and no accountability so they want collaborative planning with water companies and mapping sewer networks but there was no time frame attached um they didn't have any expectation on their needing to be an environmental conscience for the actions that water companies took so there was no wording about the solutions needing to be environmentally friendly like according to the environment act you could pour concrete over the whole of langston harbour and build 75 storage tanks but that wouldn't necessarily be a great idea in a site of site of specific scientific interest and another thing for me after the covid issues is there was no um, acknowledgement of the fact that actions need to be taken through tender and transparent processes and not given out to their cronies and shell companies like we saw with the ferries like we saw with the pp um, the personal protective equipment um there was a lot of things on first reading looked really good but the second you stop and dug into it it was just smoke and mirrors with very little meaningful action over a ridiculously extended time frame with no accountability and yeah, bad, bad, bad thing. I'm going to stop ranting now. No, I, I, think, I, I think the message has come through very clearly, Sarah. Just in the interest of time, Mike, can I just ask, have you got anything else you want to add to that quickly? Yeah, just briefly. Um, one thing that the Environment Bill does, is that it does, in my view, it, it legalises uh, pollution. It doesn't actually stop what's going on. What they're saying is that... Um, the water companies are responsible to reduce the impact of stormwater sewage discharges, not the sewage discharges themselves. And they are frankly not the same thing. They are quite different. And what you'll get is, as Sarah alluded, that Southern Water will fix the cheapest ones that it costs to fix first, and the more expensive ones, more difficult ones later, some of, the, some of those will probably be around our area. Um, they're just basically lacking in ambition. Uh, the other thing I would say is that Southern Water said that, that they wouldn't be in favour of making any more stormwater tanks because it would require uh, pouring concrete, uh, which, as we all know, is a, is a pretty high carbon-intensive activity. But, you know, both of our harbours are the, the two biggest carbon sinks in our area. And pouring a little bit of concrete to stop polluting said carbon sinks, which are being destroyed by the, uh, the sewage. It just doesn't make sense. And the Southern Water haven't really come up with a, a credible explanation or plan okay. about that. So thank you. Yeah, that doesn't doesn't really um, bode well, does it? Um, so one of the things that we've seen kind of um, publicized is calling for consumers to cancel their direct debits to wastewater companies. Um, is this really something that people should do or is it really actually just going to hurt them in the long run and cause them problems rather than actually cause an issue for the for the companies themselves? Um, and if I can ask that first to, uh, to Sarah. Yeah, um, we talked about this at Stop the Sewage South Sea and we have a group of people who are really interested in this as a way of protesting and are looking into it further. There are other groups along the coast that have actually been split due to disagreement about this and people have really, really strong feelings. Um, my opinion is it's a demonstration of how frustrated people are and how little outlet they feel they have to make their frustration heard and how 
like how powerless people feel to do something about this issue when it is affecting a massive part of their lives but something I'm really conscious of um, for Stop the Sewage like I said at the start about local groups needing a sense of place and knowing their own communities we have an awful lot of people involved in our campaign who live in social housing or military housing we've got a lot of naval families that are involved we've got people saving up for their first homes we've got people who are trying to get their credit ratings up and getting out of debt and I'm incredibly apprehensive for those people to be living with long-term personal financial ramifications of stopping their direct debits when southern water will have very little ramifications against them and that's not to say i do not empathize entirely with the feeling of frustration Mm. and powerlessness and the desire to do something about it but i really really don't want people to not be able to get a mortgage or not be able to consolidate debt and improve their financial situation because of Southern Water throwing the book at them. Now, I know that that might vary for different people based on personal circumstances, and I'm really thrilled that people are passionate enough to act on this issue. But um, a a really good friend of mine says there's a Bible verse somewhere that says, weigh the cost before going to war. And something I say to people that tell me they're considering it is, well, weigh the cost, go in with your eyes open, do your research, look at how this can be, look at the other ways you can protest, you can be involved. And if on that, for you, that's the right decision, that's your decision to make. But we were conscious of our group, of our demographic, of the people we were working with. And the other thing I was very passionate about is I didn't want anyone to feel that they were less involved in the campaign or less valid or less passionate because they couldn't take that action. It's really important to us that we give people a lot of really meaningful outlets and really positive ways to express their discontent um, so that they can still feel that they're putting the pressure on Southern Water, they're holding them accountable, they're they're making their case um, without having to feel this is their only option for activism and advocacy. Um, was there anything, uh, Michael, Rob, you wanted to add, add to that one at all? I, I would, uh, well, well put, Sarah, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, I think it's wrong to risk having county court judgments against you and uh, bailiffs. At the end of the day, I think the numbers are something like Southern Water's revenue is about 800 million a year, 4.6 million customers. So to make 1% difference, that's 46,000 people have got to get together and not pay it. So I think I think it's not going to achieve very much. So it doesn't get my recommendation. I kind of agree with that. Um, at home sewage watch, I was mindful of harming people's credit rating, which is the bottom line here. Uh, we do know that Southern Water are considering sending bailiffs to recover some of these costs, and that's not going to do your credit rating any good. And as Rob says, it's, it makes a great point, and it's really good from a press perspective. But, um, yeah, it probably does more harm to the person okay. withholding money than it does to Southern. So if we focus on 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 possible support, um, the local MPs, how supportive have they been as a group or as individuals? And I'll start with yourself, Mike. So I, I have to say, it's really echoing. I don't know if everyone else. Um, I have to say that um, I am on a Southern Water um, forum and in, in the inaugural one had uh, the Minister of the Department. It had um, several MPs, Offrot, 
EA and the CEO of Southern Water. And by and large, I think MPs, they like to talk to problem and they don't actually do anything. Um, so I think that of the seven MPs that I've had with, Penny, Penny Morden definitely being very supportive of what I'm doing. You know, not not publicly or anything else. She's been she's been very um, supportive of what I'm doing. I think uh, it can be for Helen Alan Mack. Yeah. I'm not. I, I don't want to play the guy down. But he's not really getting his hands dirty here, and uh, he really does need to because of the situation in his constituency. Um. He's he set up. He actually set up the. Southern Water Forum, and he'll tell you that it's his idea, his idea alone. And uh, by the way, did I tell you it was not a Max idea? But actually, the substance of what's going on isn't isn't good enough. Hopefully, it'll get better. But you know, we've got another meeting in a couple of weeks, so maybe maybe they'll up their game. But currently, only the odd there's an odd star in our midst. Sorry, I hope I hope um, we could at least kind of. Um get the gist of that sorry mike the i think there's a kind of like a bit of a problem with the with the line there yeah. um sorry Ian, yeah. you're gonna carry on so in terms of mp support sarah rob yeah i mean one of the few benefits of the mad political situation in portsmouth oh i've got the echo too now is i think all three parties have been really really involved with this and i'd say five because the Greens and the Independents are also involved too. Um, Stephen Morgan has held events, and so has Penny Morden, both holding kind of big public forum events about the sewage issue, which is great. Um, the only frustration I've had with Penny's side is I wish that she hadn't voted um, against the Wellington Amendment. It's really hard when people are saying one thing at a local level and engaging with local constituents but then voting differently in parliament um but there's probably a lot going on behind the scenes there that i know nothing about and don't understand so that is what it is i think the other thing i'd add although they're not mps is that the city council um and the lib dems have also been very supportive um with those meetings with southern water and looking at planning and the sustainable urban drainage piece so we've got great buy-in from all three um stephen voted um against the government version of the environment act and penny voted for it um but at a local level they've both been very hands-on rob did you want to have a try I just add a couple of points actually. One is um, the new Secretary of State for the Environment is a relatively local MP. He's MP for North East Hans, Ranil um, Jaya Wadina. Um, so I hope he can um, do the right do the right thing. And also the new chair of the Environment Agency starts started yesterday, I think. And he is um, apparently a local man, so he'll certainly understand the impact on on um, chalk streams. And his background is actually on. Um, customer dissatisfaction with the water industry. So two more big influences into into this um, into this debate who I hope will make a difference. Thank you, Rob. The last thing is the really important how do people get involved 
with your campaigns how can they how can they contribute um and do you do you have any events coming up if i can um give that to sarah first give me a second to just unmute you perfect oh no echo amazing um so we have got our oh the echo's back <laughs> we've got our stop the sewage protest of all um next weekend which we're super excited about linking to what we said about non-payment um we wanted to be giving people a really great opportunity to get their voices heard to stand up and hold other water accountable and in a really positive way so on friday we have our round the island poo relay which is starting from south parade pier with the rowers um we've got anglers canoers gig rowers um, we've got someone playing their alpen crappen horn from a rowing boat in langston harbour and we're finishing off with dog walkers um round to eastney and then a sea swimming relay all the way down to south parade on saturday morning we've got our protest at the pier and then just to make sure that we're sending people away with some real inspiration and positivity not just um anger we've got great local organisations joining us for a little festival in the garden of Cumberland House Natural History Museum. So we've got the Seahorse Trust, Greenpeace, Vinyl Straw, Solent, Hampshire, Isle of Wight Wildlife Trust, all sorts of different groups. We've got family activities like beach cleans and quizzes and we've got live music with Pompey Pluckers ukulele band we've got a community choir and then Jana Ayres is coming to lead some protest singing so it's a full day 11 till 5 protest 11 30 at South Parade Pier on the 8th of October and we'd love to see anyone that's free. Thank you very much Sarah um, and if I can just come to um, Mike um, and I've I'll be sharing the um, any links um, into the comments on with our um, with the uploads. Um, so please do uh, make sure we've got those. Uh, so um, M Mike, how can people um, join in the campaign at uh, Hailing Sewage Watch? And have you got anything any events coming up? Well, I think the first thing is that everyone needs to get themselves over to Portsmouth uh, next week. It sounds incredible. Um, there's lots going on there. Um, on Hailing, um, I am working with. A bunch of other uh, campaign groups to a more um, southeast wide protest, um, and that's that's basically in a pipe at the moment, uh, which is it's essentially going to involve lots of people sitting on porcelain, reading the Times or Southern Water magazines um, in some pretty unusual places, uh, and lots of people wearing brown. And waving brown bags and flags and banners, that sort of thing. Uh, look out for that. Um, Beach Boy is, is, as somebody's already said, is is not doing perhaps all it should be doing first. But since I'm on the on the workshop, I'm not allowed to say too much about that. But something will be happening. Okay, that's great. Thank you, uh, thank you, Mike. And uh, last but not least, um, Rob. Yeah, you can find out uh, our Harbours Partnership by going to our website and leaving us a message, which is um, cleanharbourspartnership.co.uk, simple as that. In terms of our forthcoming sort of um, events, no events, but our research is sort of just coming to fruition now. So between now and Christmas, we will be um, informing people about what we've found, of the, what's in the water, what pharmaceuticals, what pesticides, 
that'll be before Christmas. And if you'd like to keep in touch and know about that, then go to the website and and, um, and leave us a message. Lovely. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you, Simon. And thank you to all of our guests today. It, it, whilst it's been a... Um it's not been an easy lesson because the uh, the the you know it's very clear that the struggle is real and there's 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 much more to do I think on behalf of all of the listeners and the communities that live by the sea we'd like to thank you all for your efforts and the continued ongoing struggle and hopefully next uh, next Saturday is a, is a grand event Sarah so you've been listening to the Pompey Politics podcast I've been Ian Tiny Morris and our guests have been Sarah Shree from Stop the Sewage South Sea. Um, Bob Bailey from the Clean Harbours Partnership and Mike Owens from Hailing Sewage Watch. And I've been Simon Sansby. Join us next week at 6.27 um, when we ask if in Liz we trust. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. If you want to make sure you get notifications about upcoming shows, and get to know when we're live. We normally broadcast live 6.27pm on a Sunday evening. Then follow us on Facebook at Pompey Politics Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Pompey Politics One. Please, if you'd like to, feel free to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can even ask Alexa to play the podcast for you. Alexa, play the latest episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. Getting Pompey Politics Podcast from Amazon Music. Alexa, the latest episode. Stop. See? It's easy. <laughs>